0: And answers. In the scriptures, we hear of many valiant men who have gone through tremendous testing. However, none more than Job. Loss of property, family, and depletion of health brought him to his knees. But his faith was in an ever-present and all-knowing God. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukeran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast... Let's tune in, into the life of Job. You won't want to miss any part of this fascinating study. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now with part one of message three is our host, Pat
1: Zukran. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the lessons from Job. May we learn that final lesson so well that you have to teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're coming to the end of the series of Job, and he has suffered an incredible tragedy. The loss of his business, his family, even his own health. Things have gotten so bad. His wife, who dearly loves him, but sees the situation in just utter despair and hopelessness, comes to him in his time of great need and says, why don't you just curse God and die? It is so bad. Let's end it all. But what made things even worse were his three friends, as we studied last week, whose shallow theology and outlook on life led them to give counsel that was not only foolish, but hurtful to Job. They thought that life was so simple that God's ways are so simple. If you live a righteous life, you'll be blessed. If you sin, you'll suffer tragedy. And so they insisted Job's suffering was because of some great sin that he had committed for a long time. And they accused him of great wickedness and demanded that he repent of his great sin. But Job knew, and we know, that this was not the case. In fact, we learned in chapter 1, God called him a righteous man, blameless and upright, who fears God and shuns evil. However, his three friends here relentlessly and mercilessly pound on Job, causing him even greater suffering. And they become the third temptation eh, to curse God. Remember the challenge between God and Satan, which the destiny of mankind hangs in the balance as they are dueling in this great cosmic battle here. And what disturbs Job the most, despite the torment of his three friends, what disturbs Job the most is that through all this, God, remains silent weeks have gone by and we have not heard from God and he's pleading his case before God and what disturbs him most is he hasn't received an answer and you see several times in the book for example chapter 13 he says this only grant me two things that I will not hide myself from your face grant me this God withdraw your hand far from me and let not dread of your Of you terrify me. Then call and I will answer or let me speak and you will reply to me. How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. And Job says, Lord, give me an answer. Tell me why. If there is some great sin I've committed, show me. I want my day in court in front of you. And in verse 24, he says what disturbs him most. Why, Lord, do you hide your face from me and count me? As your enemy you ever felt that way before that God had turned his back on you that perhaps he had abandoned you or perhaps he had ignored your prayers in your greatest time of need I've talked to dozens and dozens of Christians who felt that in their time of great need when they needed God the most his presence seemed to be far away that he seemed to be silent in those times when they needed those Darkest moments of life when they needed a word from him, he seemed to be silent. That's a struggle Christians have had. Read the Psalms. The people of God struggle with that often. That's what Job was struggling with here. Well, when life unravels, when believers meet tragedy, how do we respond? How do we meet tragedy and come out triumphant? I've talked to dozens of believers in Christ who have met tragedy and to this day, decades later, still hold on to bitterness and anger and really have never come out of that dark tunnel. But I've met dozens other Christians who have gone through incredible tragedy like Job, yet you don't sense that anger in them or that bitterness. There's an inner peace, there's a joy that, as Paul writes, surpasses all understanding that through it all, there is that joy, that peace that really comes from a supernatural source that can never be taken away. When tragedy meets the believer, how do we respond? Well, that's what we're going to learn today as this painful dialogue with Job's three friends finally comes to an end in chapter 31. And we can finally praise the Lord that this dialogue with these three has finally come to an end. And Now, a new person comes on the scene in chapter 32. A new person enters the discussion, and his name is Elihu. And finally, with Elihu, after chapters of hearing this extremely painful dialogue between Job and his three friends, finally, now, with Elihu, we finally get some words of truth here that finally break through the darkness. As we're listening to Job and his three friends in this extremely painful struggle. What Job needs now more than ever are gems of truth that he can hold on to that can help get him through this dark tunnel. But instead, they just continue to hammer away on this poor guy. And in times of great need, when we're facing tragedy, that's what we need. We need wise people to come along to give us those gems of truth, words of wisdom, That can pull us through those difficult times. And finally, in Elihu now, we finally get those gems of truth, those gems of wisdom finally come crashing through the darkness. And Elihu offers insights into Job's assertion that God is silent, that God is ignoring him, and that God is unjust. Now, Elihu comes into the conversation, and we pick it up in chapter 32 verse 4 it says now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he and when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men he burned with anger so finally Elihu who is younger than all of them finally breaks through the silence and begins to share his insights and he states in chapter 32 he said I've waited all this time I've listened to your dialogue and now because I'm younger I've waited, but now I have something to share. And in chapter 33, Elihu offers some insights here. In verse 12 of chapter 33, he says, when he's talking to Job, and he addresses the issues of God's silence, and Job is saying, why is God ignoring me? Why does God not give me an answer? And Elihu addresses this issue about the silence of God. And he says this in verse 12, Behold, Job, in this you are not right. I will answer you. For God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying he will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way, and in two, though man does not perceive it. And Elihu says this, Job, one thing you've got to understand, God's ways are far, far above our understanding. Whatever's going on, God's ways are far above our ways, and sometimes we just can't understand it. But he says, God is not silent, Job. God speaks in many ways. In verse 14, for God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. He says, God speaks in many ways, but often, what? We don't perceive it. The problem is not the transmitter, it's the receiver. God is speaking, but in ways we do not perceive. He says, God is not silent. He answers in several ways. Verse 15, in a dream, in the vision of a night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber in the bed, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings. So Elihu begins to list just a few ways in which God speaks. And he says, first, through a dream that God may speak. Verse 19, man is also rebuked with pain in his bed and with continual strife in his bones so that... His life loathes bread and his appetite, the choicest food. He said God speaks in another way through pain, through trials and suffering. That's another way that God speaks through us. James chapter 1 also speaks of that. Verse 23, if there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand to declare to man what is right for him. God speaks even through angels. And so, Elihu is saying God is not silent. God speaks in many ways, but often we do not perceive what's going on. In our day, God speaks primarily through his word right here. We have the complete revelation of God here. But God also speaks through conviction of sin. John 16, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict you of all sin. Perhaps your difficulties may be through sin that has not been dealt with. God speaks through his creation. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God day and night. They pour forth his great wisdom. Through circumstances, through opening and closing doors, God may speak to others. There's many ways that God may be speaking into our life. The problem is not the transmitter. The problem is the receiver. Sometimes we can get so caught up in ourselves and in the situation that we are in, we fail to see how God is working amongst us. Often, more than not, in silent ways, in ways we do not perceive or even understand, God is working behind the scenes to bring about his purpose. And then he addresses the issue of God's justice. Elihu says to Job, God is just. God is, doesn't play favorites. He's impartial. God cannot be bribed or influenced by wealth or one's position. The powerful and weak are all equal in God's eyes. In chapter 34, Elihu spends the entire chapter addressing this issue. In verse 16, he says, If you have understanding, hear this, listen to what I say. Shall one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is righteous and mighty? Who says to a king, worthless one, and to nobles, wicked man? Who shows no partiality to princes? No regards, no regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die. At midnight the people are shaken and passed away, and the mighty are taken away by no human hand. He says, Job, God is not partial. He does not favor one or the other. All are valued and created in the image of God and valuable to him. And Job's question, of course, why is it that the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer at times. Why is that? And Elihu says, For his eyes are on the ways of a man and he sees all his steps. There's no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. No one can hide their ways from the Lord. He'll eventually find you out. For God has no need to consider a man further that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without investigation and sets others in their place. Thus knowing their works, he overturns them in the night, and they are crushed. He strikes them for their wickedness in a place for all to see, because they turned aside from following him and have no regard for his ways, so that they caused the cry of the poor to come to him, and he heard the cry of the afflicted. And he says, Job, God is just, and his justice will come. The wicked will not prosper endlessly one day. The justice of God shall arrive, but not in our time, in his time. For some reason, he allows the wicked to prosper for a season. In his great wisdom, in his infinite plan, he allows them to prosper for a season. But one day, God's justice will come. But he may appear silent and allow the wicked to prosper for a while. But it's according to his timing and his plan. In verse 29, he says, but when he is silent, Who can condemn him? When he hides his face, who can behold him? Whether it be a nation or man, that a godless man should not reign, that he should not ensnare the people. Perhaps he is silent for a reason. Perhaps he allows the wicked to have their day, but just for a season, one day God's justice shall come. So Alihu wisely addresses both issues of the silence of God and God's justice. And in verse 4 through 8, Elihu summarizes his argument. He says, I will answer you and your friends. Look at the heavens and sea, and behold the clouds which are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against them? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness concerns a man like yourself, and your righteousness, the son of man. And he goes on to say, Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out. They all call for help because of the armor of the Almighty. But none says, where is God my maker? Who gives songs in the night? Who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of heaven? And he goes on to say, God's ways are far, far higher than ours. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so God's ways are above ours. And often you may not see his hand or understand what is going on around you. But it's at those moments you've got to understand God's ways are far above ours. There's a lot more going on than we can possibly perceive or understand. God is not silent. God is active, working in ways often, far beyond what we perceive or understand. You know, 10 years ago was a great tragic time in my life. I had been in one of those very dark tunnels, a time when I had resigned from ministry, and it was just uh, one of those things, hate mail coming in from all over the place, nasty phone calls on my answering machine, former colleagues writing nasty stuff on the Internet about me and things. I just about had enough and going to walk away from ministry, and it was just one of those dark, dark moments. And I remember my professor calling me up, And he let me have it, man. He said, Pat, he goes, the seminary is behind you. We stand fully behind you. We know the situation. There's nothing you could do. We're behind you. Your ministry that you work for, they are all behind you. The board of directors, everyone stands behind you. Your church, two churches, they're all behind you. They all stand behind you. You hang in there, and you're going to come out of this. And I said, no, Prof, I'm done. I'm done. I'm really tired of this, okay? Okay. And I really don't need this anymore. And Zagran, so, so and I know I'm in trouble when he says my last name. Oh he goes, you better quit feeling sorry for yourself. All right? If your church is behind you, if the seminary is behind you, if your board is behind you, if your ministry is board, if we're all behind you, for their sake, you hang in there. All right? For their sake. And quit feeling sorry for yourself. All right? If we're all behind you, then God is in it. You go for it. Hey, and you don't give up. So I said, all right, Prof, I'll give it a year, okay? and things don't turn around, then that's it. Well, that was uh, over a decade ago. And I remember just a few years after that day, I was speaking with a wise friend, uh, and Alihu and in my life. He's an engineer living in Dallas, one of my best friends. We've, he's one of those guys that can offer tremendous insights in those times of need, part of my advisory board been with me through good and bad. And I remember a few years had gone by and we sat down and we talked when I was back in Dallas. And he said, how are things going, Pat? And I said, hey, they're, they're going good. And we began to reflect on that tragic year. And I said, man, I, I remember, I said, I still wonder why things happened and unfolded the way they did. I still wonder Sometimes where God was in those times and what he was doing and what he was up to still don't understand all that happened and so he's one of those guys who listens and can offer Great insight as he begins to reflect on the words you're saying and he said Why do you think God wasn't responding or why did you feel abandoned and alone at that time? I said well you remember you were in those meetings But we were there with our pastors and everyone, and we prayed for about a dozen things. And none of those were answered. In fact, the exact opposite was happening. And the more we prayed, the more worse things got. And the greater our list grew, just the opposite of what we prayed for kept happening again and again and again and again and again. And And I said, I'll I'll never forget that time in that final board meeting where things were just looking awful and, and one board member said, you know, if God would at least answer one of our prayers, we would have encouragement in this situation, but he hasn't answered a thing. And I remember we all sat there in silence for a couple minutes. And so guy began, you know, he began to reflect with things on me and he said, well, Pat, he said, you still feel that way? And I said, yeah, there are times I struggle with that. There are times I still feel that way. And he goes, well, let's, let's walk through this. He said, what do you do? I said, well, I, I do this. I Teach apologetics, around He goes, "How'd you get to do that?" He goes, "There's a lot of guys that would love to do what you're doing, but can't raise the support or the funds or or have the people around them that allow them to do that. How are you able to do that?" What you do? Teach apologetics all over the world. I said, "Well, I don't know." I don't know. He said, "You don't have a lot of millionaires on your board." I said, "Well, you know, I guess God raised up some great people alongside me to raise the support." And he and he said. God raised up people, and I said, yeah. He goes, listen to yourself, Pat. God. I said, oh, God raised them. okay. He said, Pat, you get to speak all over the world and meet all these great people and work all with all these great people. How do you get to do that? You ain't Ravi. You ain't Billy Graham. How are these people finding out about you, inviting you all over the place? I said, well, let me think. He goes, you don't have an agent. I said, well, let me think. He said, well, God moves in the hearts of people, and he said, God moves in the hearts of people. Yeah. Pat, how many guys get to have a nationally syndicated and international radio show? Not many. How did that, that cost tens of thousands of dollars, Pat? How'd that happen? You ain't Billy Graham. You, know? you ain't Ravi. You're just some dude from Hawaii. Well, I said, you know, I so, guess well, so, you know, God opened the doors. God opened the doors. And as we kept going on, began to realize. He said, Pat, do you realize God has always been moving in your life, even in those tragic times? In fact, back then, in that year of great tragedy, perhaps that is the time that God was opening some of the greatest doors for you in your life. And I said, you know, I never thought about that. And he said, Pat, God was answering your prayers, just not in the way you expected, not in the way you wanted. Not in the way you were looking, but he was answering. He was moving in your life. And I pulled back and I said, Wow. I said, You're right. And he said, Yeah, he just didn't answer it in the way you were hoping or the way you wanted. But he was moving and answering prayer in your life. And he was moving in your life. Only now, as we look back, can we understand perhaps that God was indeed there, moving and working in your life. And I learned a great lesson that day, as Elihu shared with Job, God does work, but often in ways we do not perceive or understand. And perhaps you're going through those times where you may feel abandoned, or God is ignoring me. Well, he's not silent. There are ways in which he is moving, perhaps in ways you do not perceive, or perhaps you don't understand. And the life application we learn is this, that God remains active, and his providential care continues to work in our lives in all situations, even when we can't perceive it. And God's ways cannot always be understood, but God's character can be understood. And God's ways are beyond our understanding, and so when we can't see his hand, you must trust his heart. His ways will not always be understood but you can always understand and trust in the character of God. And that's Elihu's great words of wisdom that finally breaks through in this dark tunnel that Job is in now. And it gives him a glimmer of hope to see that there is indeed God at work and truth comes crashing through the darkness through the words of Elihu. Well, in chapter 38 now, finally, God answers Job. And you know what's interesting is that Job wants to know why. Why has this happened? Why has your hand turned against me? Why, God? And if you read God's answer, God never answers Job's question of why. Isn't that interesting? God probably knew that there was a more important message here that Job needed to hear, that Job needed a deeper knowledge and understanding, not of why, But of who? Job needed a greater understanding of God and his character. And God, instead of answering Job, begins to display his great majesty and infinite wisdom by asking Job 70 questions about his creation. And through these questions, Job begins to understand God in a whole new way.
0: Thank you for joining us here on Evidence & Answers radio broadcast. Be sure to join us next time for the continuation of this exciting show. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.